Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com/people today. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to the Dabblers Book Club. This is the podcast for people who've never read Chaucer and probably never will. We're here in our alcove studio over here. I'm Curtis and over there... I'm Hadra. Hi Hadra, how are you? I'm good, thank you Curtis, how are you? I'm good. What book are we talking about this week? We are talking about the long-awaited, uh, much-hyped The Testaments by Margaret Atwood. A whole lot of hype. A whole lot of hype. Um, and a lot of controversy around it. What would the booker win? Um, the shared booker win, uh, which was very interesting decision, uh, because when it says in the rules that you have to choose one booker prize winner, what do you do? You choose two. Mm-hmm. Two out of five, which is really good for the other authors who... Uh, basically, at the end of every um, every award ceremony, you might have five or six shortlisties, uh, short and... Judges are always meant to say, it doesn't matter how obvious a winner was, they always say it was a close contest. You're meant to say it was a close contest. But when you have two clear winners and three losers, that's really kind of shitting on... Who was the other winner? Um, Bernadine Evaristo, who wrote Girl, Woman, Other. And also, as well as that, there was the um, the person who spotted apparently pre-stickered copies of of the testaments oh, in a water yeah. stone. There was that leak on Twitter. And I should have bet on it. I looked it up and I was about to uh, bet and sign up to William Hill and everything, but then it asked for ID and then it was, like, it was suddenly very complicated. Um, so just to kick things off, obviously I will slightly be talking about referring to both books, but mm-hmm. I just didn't know where I was at with The Handmaids. Mm-hmm. I, 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 I struggled to place this book. I... And and it didn't help that I watched a couple of episodes of the TV series. Mm. And I think I think you'd painted a picture of me. What is it all about? And I wish I'd have come at it from just a, not knowing anything. Just picked it up, going, okay, this is a modern classic that you're really supposed to have read. Um, I could because I like dystopia. This is dystopia, but I couldn't picture the landscape, the handmaids, like there's which is weird because there's a lot of description of what they wear and how they mm. act. But is it set now? Is it like handmade makes me go to like a Victorian era, but it's clearly not because occasionally they're in a Volvo. Yeah. Um, so I struggle with the, the very 
just I struggled to just plant my imagination with this book. See, I found that, and by this book we do mean The Handmaid's Tale, not The Testaments. Uh, I found that really interesting because The Handmaid's Tale was very obvious to me that it was set modern day. I mean, it was written, I think, 1985, and I read it in the late 90s, early 2000s for my A-level. It was a really important book for me. Um, I think it changed the way I viewed writing. I'd always sort of thought about books being written in a very sort of classical format and... Um, very sort of old-fashioned style. And for me, it showed me just how different people can write and the different styles and also the very modern language. I found it very, very modern language, which instantly placed me, I think, in the modern um, world. There's people talking above us. Yeah, no, fair. Um, if you can, I think that's quite nice, really. If you, if you can hear people, there's a, there's a street above our head, people bowling out of the Alma in North London. Um, <laughs> So getting back to the Testaments, um, as a as a sequel, what what did you think to it, or does it work as a standalone book? I don't think it works as a standalone book, um, but I mean it's impossible to tell because I've read The Handmaid's Tale. The first thing that struck me when I read it was reference to characters that are in the TV series, and that just really pissed me off. And it also had inconsistencies with the TV series. So it hadn't gone completely away from the TV, uh, but it hadn't stuck to it either, which for me just... Ugh, it either needs to completely complement it without any holes mm. or not at all and just be what as the author intended. So it really took away from me uh, the legitimacy of the, of the book um, because it was so influenced by the TV series and such a response to the TV series mm. that... Uh, yeah, that really frustrated me. Well, it's, it's a new era, isn't it? It's really weird that, you know, because people churn out TV series in the way they do now, the whole Netflix culture, that stuff based on books is overtaking the books. So, I mean, for example, Game of Thrones, which I've incidentally never seen or read. Not but I. But um, I, I understand that the TV series actually overtaken the books and it's way ahead and now there's a conversation for... Um, what's the name, Martin, to... Um, <laughs> yeah. George R. R. Something Martin. like that, yeah. Okay, we'll call him Martin. To... Tolkien, I don't know. He's not fucking Tolkien. <laughs> um, you know it's finished now, don't you? Right? You know Game of Thrones is over. Good, good, because people talk about it a lot and it alienates me. It went terribly, apparently. Funnily enough, men wrote a character, a female character, losing her shit and not really being consistent with how she'd been before. And uh, rape made her stronger, so... Oh, that's seven minutes, 19, and feminism arrives. <laughs> but yeah, no, it's just interesting that now TV series are overtaken and then for the author, there's a question of how much they let it influence what they then write. I mean, how much are they contractually obliged to, or artistically obliged to keep in touch with it. So it's interesting that this did have a relationship with the TV series. Someone like Atwood would have had free reign to write whatever she wanted, I think. I can't see... Like, I mean, she's a producer on The Handmaid's Tale... Um, she even had a cameo in it earlier on as well um, she would have been if not involved then the site like she would have had to have signed off um, on the TV series I mean I don't know that and what do I know but anyway the testaments firstly I'm no booker expert or big reader or anything like that but as far as I'm aware booker's meant to be kind of groundbreaking books you know really things that are so important for their time and test boundaries of literature um we should probably get the book a <laughs> book a website up and see what they actually are meant to do this because i'm basically just making it up 
Um, but the Testaments just just felt like such a commercial decision, and she didn't need the Booker. It doesn't doesn't need Booker recognition. Um, it was, is interesting actually with yeah. the the gravity of this book. Um, it came out, and and I, and I only say this because books don't do this anymore, and I really wish they they did more. But the the, the day it came out, I was walking up from work. I work I work in Farringdon. I was walking up the St John's Road, uh, St John Street, up to towards Angel, and a bloke nearly walked into me. Mm-hmm. This guy, and he he had his face was buried in the, in the <laughs> testaments and it's like you know a big hard copy with a bright green um the woman dressed in bright green on the front and he was reading the testaments like in a way that you know when people read and walk yeah this guy was finishing he this was book the day it. it came out he was into it and then, then at the very same ju- time it was probably a booker judge <laughs> um yeah you, you and i then that weekend were at the Oldborough festival yeah. um on the east coast and we were at a little do for a theatre company we're very very tenuously affiliated with and you were sat at the table reading it when I went to the toilet and I came back and a couple had approached you and went how is it how yeah, is it yeah. and I, and books don't do that anymore no, so that true. I love that it I love that the buzz sense of occasion with yeah. it I mean Waterstones and lots of book uh, branches of bookstores just went crazy with it you know kind of um, midnight releases and stuff. You know, it was very sort of Harry Potter kind of era mm. yeah. um, events. Which and it was it was a big occasion because the the original Handmaid's Tale meant so much to so many women like me who were teenagers when we were reading it, probably at university, mm. uh, probably at at school, and it was discussed a lot. And it was such a kind of seminal book for us it was the first time i actually spoke um the brag here i spoke at a woman's prize for fiction event um and kate moss was the sort of host slash chair uh, and i was on a panel with a few other brilliant women in, in publishing and we were asked about our favorite um the most important books to us and one of mine was the handmaid's tale and it wasn't necessarily that it was my favorite book but it just changed the way I looked at the world, it changed the way I looked at literature. Um, it got me thinking about feminism in a way I'd never done before because I, I didn't rep- I didn't call myself a feminist um, when I was a teenager. Um, but The Handmaid's Tale was definitely a key part of, um, of that change for me and that realisation that all the things that were in it were still happening in the world. Like most of them were still happening in the world to some degree. And Margaret Atwood is almost like this leader for women and feminists because she's she talks through her fiction and for her, and her words are so powerful that you kind of don't need her to stand up and talk about women's rights because it's all in her books. Um, but anyway, so she was just such such an incredible figure, and I think that's why the book has such a sense of occasion around it. She is this incredible woman. Yeah, I think it did the it did the really nice thing. It's kind of a technique employed by Black Mirror, and I think Black Mirror is probably in some way inspired by works like this, where it takes a concept and pulls at the thread. So here we've got um, religious tyranny and 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 male misogyny, patriarchy, patriarchy, and and, um, and it and it sort of says what would happen if this got outrageously amplified mm-hmm. in the mo- in the format it's already in. What if things got out of control? And Black Mirror does that. You know, it mm-hmm. starts with, you know. Okay, we've got drones now. Well, what happens if a terrorist works out how to put them in the government's bees or <laughs> like bee drones? Yeah, and um, and that, and that's the thing here. It's sort of you're you're living in a, not an unrecognizable world with the testaments, and it, it's 
you know there are references that we 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 can liken to so it's very real but the just the setup of how you know people have handmaids and and econo wives and all of this stuff it's it's a it's a peculiar amplification i think and really important like i say a really nice way of doing it very real way i think yeah i totally uh, agree with you there's what atwood says though and what you can see in the books is that all of the stuff has already happened to women it's in the bible it's in religious texts it's in um it's it's in countries now you know it's in other countries now and what she is showing, and as we see, you know, in certain states in America, um, is that we're always on the edge of this reality. We always mm. are. We take it for granted that we have, as women, that we have the rights we have. And the men have the rights that they have because of women's rights. Um, but we are never far away. And that's why The Handmaid's Tale is set in the modern world. And she talks through the sort of um how that came about and all the easy things things that you think oh well it's just a it's just a conversation about abortion it's just a conversation about um working workers rights it's just um it's just getting your husband to sign something for you and it's like those are all they seem small steps, but they're so significant because as soon as you start taking those steps, you are going backwards and you are going backwards very fast and very far. Mm. Um, and that's terrifying. And again, and I think with the TV series and everything like that, that's why the Testaments was such a big deal because we wanted her to revisit it and we wanted hope. Um, but in the current climate, I don't know. Um, the Testaments ultimately wasn't teaching me anything new. It wasn't okay. a new book. No. The premise had already been set. And that's Definitely. why for me it can't yeah. be that groundbreaking book that The Handmaid's Tale was. Mm. And that's why for me it can't, it's not a book a winner. I don't, I it's don't second understand. album syndrome as well, isn't well, it? It's, it's carrying on a concept <laughs> that was groundbreaking 20 years ago. Yeah, yeah. well at least ugh, 30. Oh. Um, it's a brilliant book. And the sequel I think is brilliant. We will actually talk about the sequel shortly. Um, but yeah, all the hard work was done by creating The Handmaid's Tale. So for me, a book the, the follow-up can't be revolutionary because we know, like the work's already gone into that. That you can't then have this incredible groundbreaking book. So um, the three protagonists in the book we aren't Lydia, Agnes, and Nicole, baby Nicole. Uh, what do you think to them, their stories, how they carried? Okay, so if my first thing with Aunt Lydia is this annoying inconsistency with the TV because on the TV show, um, she we get we get her backstory. And I think she's, uh, what is she? she works in a school or she's a social worker of some form. Um, and then in the book, she's a lawyer or used to be a family lawyer or something yeah, like that. Judge or something. Judge, that's she, it, yeah. yeah. It's been a few weeks since I read it. Um, I found, so Aunt Lydia was as strong a character as she was in the first one. And I'm kind of annoyed that, I'm almost annoyed that there was a sequel because I'd started watching the TV series and I wanted the TV series to take me away and actually now with the book, it's like, oh, now I feel like I've got two stories and I don't know which one's the right story. Um, so I feel conflicted. And I I almost feel like all the judges probably didn't watch the series mm. either. Um, you have to do what I do with Star Wars and like the crap ones didn't happen. <laughs> I, I just deny them. But no, them. it's not that. It's like one count central character, Aunt Lydia, is different in the book. Her backstory is different in the book mm. to to what it is in the TV series. And that is very frustrating because um, now I feel like, okay, I've just got to ignore the tv series 
The other two characters, um, so Nicole, and I forgot what the other, sorry. There was Agnes. But Nicole, for me, maybe this is controversial, Nicole mm. was the only really strong one out of the protagonists. She had the whole backstory of baby Nicole, yeah. who was smuggled out of Gilead, mm. who was living in Toronto, and then she got into being an activist. And then um, she was she was, she was on the, the front line of some march that her, her miners didn't want to go and do. Oh, she's got different names in the yeah. book. Daisy. Daisy? Um, she's Daisy, yeah. Oh, okay. and then she's got the adoptive parents, Neil and Melanie, yeah. um, who don't want her to go to that, um, yeah. the protests. And that's actually when it all goes to pot because she gets seen on TV mm. and then starts the whole adventure where she ends up venturing into Gilead and then back out again. Um, and I just I thought that was the most... That was the story that really gripped me, that really made me pay attention. I wanted to know what was going to happen, mm. um, particularly when she's with the guy that takes her in there and they end up sleeping under a bridge. Mm. Yeah, she yeah. gets out by boat. That's such a strong story. See, it's interesting you like that because I find I always find escape stories the most boring. <laughs> like, um, I mean, I did care if she got if she was well, yeah. you know got free, but I mean that's just our differences of. That, it's the different size of books we like, but it, for me, it un, if you like, it underlines um, the the fear around Gilead. Yeah, the culture fear with the guards and how you can't truly be your own person. Yeah. You can't be. Um, yeah, for for me, that's the um, that's the big pull of that. See, with Nicole, I actually found the way Nicole and Agnes have been written was actually quite similar. Um, I didn't f- get a real sense of difference between the two characters, but there was it was interesting because Lydia. I mean, ultimately, Lydia is on the side of good, but via evil. Mm. Um. Which, again, was troubling. <laughs> and it was better than the TV series because in the TV series they basically made it like she was this heartbroken, bitter woman and that's why she um, uh, turned to sort of the bad side. Um, the more I think about it, I don't... Like, I read... I couldn't put it down. As soon as I got past, what, the first 30 pages, I literally couldn't put it down. Um, yeah, I don't know Why? Like, I don't know, it was just a very compelling book, but when I think of it it's almost dispassionately, I I feel like rationally it wasn't the greatest, but it was a page-turner. It's definitely a page-turner, because I and I was frustrated the whole time because I wasn't sure how into it I was, whether I was following it, but I certainly did rattle through it. So if we talk a bit more about Aunt Lydia, and obviously the big thing about Aunt Lydia is that she's got this face of evil, but underneath she's using her power for sort of long-term good, which presents a very big ethical kind of discussion um you know it's all very well and good to be fighting against the powerful and the mighty but it's better long term probably to get inside them and change yeah, it from the, the outside. whole time she's playing by the rules isn't she but for a greater good yeah and she sort of thought it through quite clearly that she knew she had to prove herself at the beginning um you know uh, be behind people dying and all her horrendous kind of punishments and she needs to act like she really believed it but over over a long period of time you know we're talking 15 years she's sort of plotting this long-term kind of um overthrow almost or um yeah Mm. so you you didn't feel you kind of necessarily got everything that was going on with some of the characters yeah i really struggled to grasp it to be honest with you i don't know what it was because it's not like the language is complicated like when you read a classic and it just you know you're going oh my god i don't think i understood that page all the words made sense there's just something about it that didn't spell out a plot line to me it was quite vague 
um, which I know is a very broad criticism. Um, so quite often I'm going, okay, we're following Aunt Lydia. Okay, and she feels like that. Oh, and we're doing this now. And I'm thinking, where are we and what are we doing? So afterwards when I went over the synopsis, in fact, the, the, there's the part where baby Nicole, going back to that, is sent into Gilead um, and they give her the tattoo. I missed that that was like carrying a little micro dot of information. Oh, right. I, I must have just missed a line, but I think yeah. there was something about it that was making me tempted to skim and I kept having to go back over. <laughs> and generally I'm not like that as a reader. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I, I found it kind of hard graft. Like, at no point was I really captured by the plot. Do you think yeah. it being in three parts just is, is why, like three parts? Sort of As in the switching like, narrative. Three, yeah, three narratives. Uh, I d- yeah, no, I didn't mind that. Um, didn't mind that. I guess I'd liked some narratives more than others. Um, it's just something in, way, in the way the story was told. It didn't feel like it had a really straight, direct thread. It was a lot of snapshots mm-hmm. flashing around. And at no point did I feel like I was... And maybe I just like an old yarn. Did it, but, did it make you think though like about sort of morality of the situation and um oh yeah absolutely in the way that you know 1984 and books like that go my god and i know you said this has happened historically but i did go you know and then there's the scene where where they depict how it all happened and mm-hmm. it starts with her credit card getting cancelled yeah, yeah. and suddenly like the world was changing in a very real way and that i loved is that in the handmaid's tale or in testaments no that's in the testaments oh, okay. and, and and that is a it's very much how um I'm hoping it is in the Testament. I don't know. I read them both, like, um, one after the other, uh, which is probably how you're supposed to do it if you've not done either. I think so. Yeah, so there were moments that captured me, but all in all, I I just didn't feel like I was going through a story. Mm -hmm. I felt like things were happening and only small parts of the book really drove it along in the way I would want it to. Like I say, the Baby Nicole narrative, I thought, fantastic. Mm -hmm. Towards the end of the book, I was really gripped by that. But a lot of the stuff throughout, I just... I struggled with it. I mean, I almost... I think because it's a sequel, what's driving the reader, especially if they've read The Handmaid's Tale and if they felt invested in that, is to know what happened to Offred. Absolutely. It's joining dots and it's yeah. getting backstory and that is key. Yeah. I wonder... Yeah, you sometimes wonder if you could have just had a part two of her narrative. I mean, I like the idea of piecing stories together and there is something great about that and it makes it more organic, especially if you think about the postscripts, like the whole structure is that we're looking at it as if it's primary sources that historians and university lecturers and professors are, are discussing and, you know, talking about this um, at this conventions, um, which I do like. And actually there's an interview, I think, in Time magazine or something like that with where Margaret Atwood... She talks about, oh, that, that's a possibility. Like, she actually acts like she doesn't have the answers as well. So um, you can sort of assume that something happened. She was like, yes, that's possibly the... That makes sense as a conclusion, you know, but it's mm. not like, yeah, this definitely happened or definitely didn't happen because a lot of the stuff is hinted at. Um, and, I mean, the, the, one of the fundamental things is that the while the sisters, Nicole and Agnes, um, while they are sisters, they might, and the timing works, they might not be Offred's kids. You know what I mean? She allows that that that's not set in stone. That's not a definite. Mm. Probably. They probably are. But there's no reason why we need to connect those two because there were so many handmaids who had daughters snatched away from them mm. and then had a child. You know, it's... Yeah, and I do like that. And I also like how it's all framed uh, as like a lecture, isn't it? Or yeah. a postscript, rather. Um and, and and yeah, it's that we are exploring this 
at that point you're looking at a point in history mm-hmm. of the snapshot when we had handmaids and there was Gilead and and I, I like that the kind of it's possible that the handmaids used to do this yeah there's that police car going by yeah I feel like I'm in Gilead <laughs> we're underground it's fine Ooh, it's all kicking off so oh, no. there we go so that 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 in a way I find quite nice mm. uh, uh, the fact that we're exploring well possibly this happened and and it's left up to you. It's left to how much you find these things definitive. I really like, and I remember this in class, um, reading the professor, is it Pixioto? Pixoto? Um, Pioto? I don't know. Pixioto. I've got it in front of me. I yeah, can't, we're really uh, good at it. Yeah, we're too stupid for this. Pi X Zotto is how it's spelled. <laughs> P I E I know how it's spelled. I'm just like, Pixioto. Pixioto? Anyway. Um, I like how the professor at the end, uh, it was, it's kind of a running joke. So the first time we read The Handmaid's Tale, I remember at the back, we, in the postscript, we read it in class. And this sort of sexist joke that he made um, was so important because it was like, oh, the world's not changing. Like, mm. we never learn. There's always something. We never learn, We're yeah. going to go around in these cycles of, mm. of sexism and oppression. Um, and uh, that, he res- responded to that the following year, which I thought was quite an interesting sort of That's a nice humorous device. touch. Yeah, yeah, it was a good, it was a good device. Um, yeah, I'm, I don't know with this book. There's not a huge amount to say about it in a way um, because well, there's so much already. I mean, I feel like I'm watching it. I feel like I'm watching the book as I've read it. Do you know what another thing is? And again, I might be comparing this to the couple of bits I saw on telly, but you know how. Um, Gilead has an elite, and it's like the you know the powerful men, the commanders. The, yeah, yeah the, the, there's not a lot of they don't get a lot of um, page space in the book. There's not a lot on them, and 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 I realise like that that you know the whole the <laughs> where whole, are all the men? Yeah, the whole thing. Yeah, I realise yeah. that, but at the same time, okay, where's all the evil? I'd say. Um, well, this all is it embedded to within the, war, the struggle? It's they? referred to, but at no point is there a camera on. You know, but how can thing. they put a camera on it? They, they, that's the whole point. It's this male sphere. That's they're the ones, mm. you know, fighting like wars point, and yeah, and making making the laws, and then they just use the women to implement the laws they need to. Like it's like in mm. the office where Dwight goes to Angela, you can look after the women. It's kind of you know you have one matriarchal figure mm. that keeps everyone in line, and that's Lydia. And there's not much need for the men in there because that's the, the men don't concern themselves okay, with I, it I back down. But, I don't, no. but I don't know it's um I mean when you read stories you want to see yourself in them right so you want to be like yeah so what would people like me be doing where, where would they be but I think that's kind of implicit in what the women are doing like the men are kind of um you know commanders or chauffeurs yeah. or have we got any reviews yes um so, Amazon reviews always deliver. So let's have a look at some one-star Amazon reviews. I'll just read some headlines. I might first. actually agree with the one stars. Like <laughs> last week when we can't did... agree with one stars. Well, well, well when we stars. when we did Last of Her Kind, I, I actually thought it was quite a strong book. It was a strong three point yeah. five. But um, it, I, I and, the, and that, that's when you you're reading these people with the one star reviews going, not quite what I expected based on the cover. And it's like you know, there's literally a famous <laughs> saying about this. But um, but here I might be going, well, yeah, no, yeah, a bit of waffle. So someone called another Amazon customer said, at, I'm, I'm going to read the headlines first. Atwood sells out. 
disappointing, overhyped nonsense, dreadful just dreadful, I mean, so disappointing, 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 don't buy this. If Atwood wrote The Hunger Games, I've not read The Hunger Games, so I don't get that reference, uh, ripped and scuffed so someone got a bad copy delivered. <laughs> we could just say that's the whole review. Uh, greasy marks, so Amazon are failing with, uh, with the item is dirty, new but damaged. Uh, I didn't order this, damaged. Ghastly middle class whining. Oh, that's written by a man. Um, unbelievably disappointing, disappointing drivel. A religious dystopia which maligns the wrong religion. We are definitely coming back to that review. Oh, that sounds good. Um, item not ordered but charged to my credit card without my authorisation. Oh, so for God's sake. Come on, Atwood. Yeah. Sort Atwood, it out. what you're doing. Atwood, you well, do I want to know about the religious one. That, that sounds like a... Or the wrong religion. <laughs> Tried a sample. It was just publishing info. What? I don't know. <laughs> Uh, wants to try a sample before buying on the Kindle. Only problem is the sample is just a contents page and information on her other work. How can I decide? If the, I, d- I wonder if you press, press next. Maybe just press yeah. next. Also an argument against the Kindle generation. So lots, <laughs> so lots of review headlines are saying uh, disappointing or that the item was dirty. So Atwood sought out the greasy covers. Let's go to a religious dystopia which maligns the wrong religion. This is by someone, and I guess it's the real person, Dorian Gray. Um, the Testaments is total drivel. Laughable and ridiculous. Worse still, it's virtually adolescent. The Handmaid's Tale is better, at least it's readable, works as a religious dystopia, but of course, like the Testaments, the wrong religion is being unfairly maligned and the wrong country. What planet is Margaret Atwood on? And there's about 20 question marks after that. Both books appeal to the conscience of liberal lefties everywhere. Sadly, this explains why this drivel drivel was nominated for the Booker Prize, plus why it won. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Plushcare.com slash weight loss. Where do you begin? Wait, so, it, so is he like a Christian from the Deep South? Um, 
I mean, I possibly. I, well, they don't give me full details. I mean, it's Amazon.co.uk, so possibly okay. it should be British. Well, the first thing that makes me laugh is this, this, this is Dorian Gray. Yeah. And I have, if you'll forgive this, a picture in my head of Dorian Gray. Uh, <laughs> just just really, but, but, but really bad grammar going, you would not believe this has got to not be in any way in my top 100. Um, well, you know what? The one thing I'll take from this, he goes, it's virtually <coughs> adolescent. Now, if he means it's more like a YA, young adult fiction, I can kind of take that. It's... It's younger. I think it's quite, uh, you know, 15, 16 year olds would read this. Yeah. It doesn't necessarily mean it's a young adult fiction, but it's um, it can definitely appeal to a broader market. It's I got think. a lit more edge. Yeah. yeah. Um, so I can see younger people reading this than would have read The Handmaid's Tale, perhaps. Yeah. I, like you remember the Pearl Girls. I, I can imagine them all having, you know, AirPods. Yeah. And being a bit with I it. I think yeah. something about how young two of the characters are. Yeah, maybe that's it. Maybe it's as simple as that. Um, So Dorian Gray. um, I can't... Yeah, the wrong religion is being unfairly maligned. Yeah, I want to know what he wants, but what's the right religion? (laughs) I don't know. Oh, oh, I don't know. I mean, as a a Muslim-born woman, I've got no idea what he could be talking about, what he's trying to get at. Um, It is amazing, though, as soon as people feel like their religion is being targeted, even though... Literally, countries still operate like this and treat women like this using scriptural justification. It's amazing that he's like this person is so upset by that. I think this person's very young, to be honest. I think, I think this they'd... book is not for Dorian Gray. Yeah. Who else we got? Um. I mean, a gentleman called Mr. Kelly, bless him, ordered it, and uh, credit card details were used without his consent. So sort it out. Um, disappointing is an understatement. Uh, this is by a Mr. or Ms. Roberts. I was so excited about this book. I received it on publication day. What a disappointing read. I have no idea why people are giving it five stars or how it won the Booker Prize. Not a patch on the original. Should never have been written. <laughs> That's a bit harsh. I want to give it One star. It's really interesting with books when you think the quality of it page turning, all this sort of thing. And you know that Atwood sat down to do it. I don't, I don't feel it was something that's been burning inside of her. No. She's an incredible true. writer. She yeah. can write anything she wants. You can literally give you could give her three ridiculous storylines and she could write anything. You know, she's yeah. she's fantastic. And that, that, that that's true. The, 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 but ultimately this was there's a level of obligation with this book. Yeah, I guess it doesn't it's, feel like it came from a, yeah. an organic place. It's not like she finished the first one and went, here's the sequel. Mm. No, years later, it's gone, okay, well, this is trouble. Now, what is quite nice is, and I'm going to quickly flick through, but there's a, there was a, um, a note from her uh, in the acknowledgements um, where, where she just says, you know, thank you so much to the people that have asked questions over the years and really taken mm. this story and, you know, uh, and 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 let um, and created questions that need answering, yeah. which effectively does mean that whatever that person's name is with the review is not right. It is a book that should have been written. It just maybe there could have been a better job done with it. Maybe it's a shame the, the television influence or, or the you know the lack of cohesion with the television influence. I think that whole question of a book that shouldn't have been written is a very interesting one, isn't it? Because sort of as writers or wannabe writers as we are, as creatives, um, as liberal-ish thinkers you kind of believe that everyone should write whatever they want yeah. and that there shouldn't be any censorship literally everyone should write what's inside them that's true except Catch 22 which is the <laughs> worst thing I've ever read 
got 60 pages in and left it in the drawer of a cruise ship. And then wrote an Amazon review one star and said it was so bad. No. You should <laughs> no. read the rest of it and then leave an Amazon oh, review. Oh, I don't know where it is. Um, <laughs> left it in the drawer of the ship. Float, floating around the Mediterranean now. I'd say it's at the bottom of the sea. <laughs> Ooh. Um, but yeah, the idea that a book shouldn't ever be written. Yeah, no, don't like it. It's, you know... But I don't know, like... It, it, it actually it goes along with the thing of, you know, on, like, uh, Twitter. Yeah. Delete this tweet. It's like, yeah, yeah. fuck off, no. <laughs> like, I, you, know, you might disagree with it. It doesn't mean it shouldn't yeah. exist. I think it, this... But this is where the idea of books crosses into, you know, commercial and capitalist world. So if you were to write a book for a company and they paid you and you had a certain message, you... You know, it's not from a burning desire. You might, you'd use your creativity. Mm. You'd, it would have a plot, a beginning, middle, end. Some people might love it. Some people might hate it. But if someone said that should never have been written, you might be like, oh, yeah, actually, you know what? Yeah, it's not. It came from a different place. Mm. Um, I mean, and, and I'm a firm believer as well, even if it is a weaker book, yeah. it should still have been written because isn't it wonderful? I said to you earlier, I finished. Um, oh, yeah. Myths in Their Future by J.G. Ballard, and I've read about six or seven Ballards now, and I've actually enjoyed going on that ride of reading his good ones and reading some. A bit like a band, you listen to them and you go, well, God, this one's a filler, but mm. aren't you glad the filler exists, you know? It's, yeah. And I think maybe this is, you know, what's Fleetwood Mac's week album? I'm thinking this is... Know. Actually, there's no such thing, is there? <laughs> but, you know, this is Atwood's Prince in the 90s. Yeah. You know? When he was a squiggle, I don't know. Yeah, when he was formerly known is as. It the, but is it though? It's still a great readable book. I don't think it is. It's not like a flop. Yeah, I, mean, I think actually, like I think what I'm doing now is justifying this person's comment more than. Um, yeah. In general, more than. Yeah, um, pick a one star yeah. review and Curtis will say. I'll right, find something. Right. I'll find something. Okay, we've but got yeah, a lovely yeah. long review here. Go on. Having loved The Handmaid's Tale since first reading, the exquisite style and subtle construction of a terrible world through flashback and hint and observation and part revelation, the Testaments proved to be a grave disappointment. The TV series was bad enough, with long pointless shots and the unsubtlety of a third-person presentation of events compared to... Um, so he says, Atwood has succumbed to external pressure in the worst possible way. I mean, I won't say it's the worst possible Should way. Should have known better. I've, <laughs> I've, I've succumbed to, it, to yeah, worse pressure. Anyway, um... There is no poetry in the writing, no chanting, no description of outlandish ceremonies. The plot line is baffling and lumbers to its conclusion with no real conviction about itself. The sentences are long and often opened with I, repetitively sometimes. I mean, I don't know about you, but when you write in first person, Chuck Palahniuk did talk about submerging the I, but you still need to use it every now and I again. I is quite so. necessary. Um, it is a shame that people cannot accept that a narrative may not have a neat ending and that we may never know what happened to the protagonist. All the unknowns... This is really interesting. All the unknowns about Gilead that Offred could never have known that we would never know have been known have been filled in doggedly so that no question remains unanswered. It's a shame. The overlay of this dundering elephant of a sequel will linger and spoil the mystery of The Handmaid's Tale. I wish I'd never read it. So this is interesting because... This person was clearly invested in The Handmaid's Tale and they do feel let down by this. Um, and it, again, it raises an interesting question of uh, of story and not knowing the ending. And, you know, The Handmaid's Tale did leave us with what happens to, to Offred um, and gives us a little bit more info for, uh, with the postscript. But um, I, do, I do actually feel this reviewer's sort of sense of... It, they've really been upset by it. They're probably by offended. It. Yeah, yeah. And it's not terrible. You know, they're, they're, they make some <coughs> interesting points. 
Um, I think, yeah, sorry, what were you going to say? Well, I found a, a nice little passage, actually. Mm-hmm. I originally went in to uh, make a point about burying the eye, yeah. but I've actually just found something else Go that's on. completely unrelated. Um, what's lovely throughout this book, uh, and I think it's a big plus, is when it reminds you it's a script mm. uh, or, or a diary or whatever yeah. that's discovered years later, and they're writing it to a fictitious reader. Mm-hmm. Who is is now you reading yeah. the book? But they didn't know that, and that's lovely. So, so. the Handmaid's Tale was tapes, wasn't it? And this is written. I See, mean, this is basic to... stuff that I need to yeah double check. Karen, this Karen. is basic stuff that we should remember because the postscript should be stronger. <laughs> anyway, so how about this? This morning, I got up an hour early to steal a few moments before breakfast with you, my reader. You've become somewhat of an obsession, my sole confidant, my only friend. For to whom can I tell the truth besides you? Who else can I trust? Not that I can trust you either. Who is more likely to betray me in the end? It goes on. But I love that when they mm. break away from the story and acknowledge the reader. It, yeah. it, one, it reminds you what this is. And two, suddenly it engages you. You go, oh, I'm part of this. It reminds you of Aunt Lydia's age as well, actually. Um, that yeah. she is keeping sort of her memoirs almost. She's very um, conscious of what she's doing. Yeah. Yeah, I have sympathy with this review. Um, but again, I think it's just the one to five star thing. It's like... One Star for me is a terrible book. Like it's it's been terribly, dreadfully written. Yeah, Catch Twenty Two. Um, you you can't get through it. Um, you know that sort of thing. But I mean, I'm not a massive fan of the whole sort of acting like stars are a neutral. You know, a sort of what's the word? I mean, people are just very you know polarizing, aren't they? They love something or hate something. Yeah. Um, so and that and and you know. Reads like fan fiction. I absolutely hated it. Ooh. Fan fiction? I didn't read like fan fiction. No, no. Incorrect. Um, okay, this is, again, so Dilbert Rules has <laughs> said... Dilbert Rules. <laughs> Dilbert Rules. Um, very disappointed with this. Felt like it was written by a totally different author for a teenage audience. Again, the teenage audience. I think that's there's some truth in that. There's certainly a young shift, yes. Yeah. Um, well, bear in mind also, this is years later in her career. Her writing will organically have evolved, as anybody's yeah, would. Yeah, that's true. You know, when how do you know how old she was when she wrote *Handmaid's Tale*? She's still in her fifties. I mean, what she's eighty. So she's a lot she's older 80. now. A lot it's older now. Like, yeah. She's going to have a different view on life. She's going to have read different things. Mm-hmm. She's going to have written different things. She's going to have met people. I would like to think that I will be writing differently at eighty to how I was at fifty. Yeah. She's lit- she's eighteen a few weeks. Good grief! Uh, Good on you, Maggie. Yeah, amazing. <laughs> yeah, you you give her that. You show that deference. Um, <laughs> yeah, so she'll be she'll be eighty yeah. next month. So when he's going about different style, yes, of course there is. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so yeah, the Hammer Tale was written in nineteen eighty five. Um, I haven't read that many of other books. I've read The Heart Goes Last. I've watched Alias Grace and stuff. I mean, her brain is is amazing. Um, but I do I do need to mm. read. Read far more, far much more Atwood. But the thing with Atwood is that she's just such an accomplished writer um, that she can write anything. And I bet, I bet she, it feels like she wrote it fairly quickly. I mean, I think she did write it quickly. There were sort of, I, I mean, the fact that it wasn't really it was nominated for the Booker before it was actually published would mm. hint that they were trying to hit a deadline. Um, and it's funny as well that she's this lovely old lady. You know, I, and she's not a lovely old patron. Don't be. <laughs> no, you let me finish, right? Fierce woman. Um, it's the fact that she's so old now. I I sort of see her as this, you know, lovely old lady in a you know, 
in a snowy cabin in Canada having custard creams, if they have those in I think Canada. She lives in Aberdeen. And a cup she? of tea. Um, and, well, she did live in Aberdeen. But, but writing this really, really edgy dystopia, this really dark and dismal. It's almost like she's thing. reminding us that the brain carries on and that's what's important. Yeah. Yeah. I bet she's a hard ass, and I've just. Yeah, you can tell she's a hard ass. She's like, she's nails. I mean, she wouldn't. Probably wouldn't beat you up, but like with words, she'd beat you up with words. Mm. Um, no, with Margaret Howard, I always get this sense that she's stern is not the word. That's far too like that's quite gendered actually. But it's she definitely doesn't take shit. Does not take shit. Knows what she's talking about. Very considered in her words. Um, yeah, and doesn't need to rattle on about things. She's got this one like in her interview. She's got this wonderful air of mystery to her mm. that she either wants you or makes you feel like she wants you to do the working out and mm. that she's not got the answers. She just presents things to you to make you think. One thing I would absolutely say, and that's for, um, for Outward, now I've read some, is fair play. She absolutely has carved out her own very, very unique style that's unique to her and absolutely champions it and sticks by it. And I think that's fantastic. I love something that is so uniquely somebody's own style. By style, do you mean her writing style yeah, or she, her like the dystopian kind of thing? Because you said that her no, writing style changed. Di, like, dystopia is, 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 you know, a whole thing. The actual, uh, yes, it's yes, it's changed in terms of the focus, mm. but I'm, I mean the way she lays out a story. Yeah, she's got her own identity. There's an she? identity, yeah, yeah, that's yeah. what I'm looking for. And, yeah, right. and I love how fiercely it's her identity. Yeah, and actually, yeah, The Heart Goes Last was similar as well. I think the biggest thing that struck me about Margaret Atwood's writing when I first read it was, yeah, just how modern it was. And like I said, when I read The Handmaid's Tale years ago, I wasn't used to that at all. Um, and But yeah, she holds on to that and she's unwavering. And, and she just, I think she uses it very... And I felt like when I was reading The Testaments, I should be reading it in the conditions of like one of the handmaids I should be in sort of like a cold bunk with my candle yeah. and then you know just like really quietly stealing a bit of reading time yeah. it has that urgency to it um the testaments, testaments. Say, yeah I think it's it's more of a product of its time than a sort of defining book of its time if that makes sense like it's come about as a result of the world we're in rather than challenging you to think differently within that world, if that makes sense. Like, The Handmaid's Tale felt like it came at a bit of a more stable time. I don't I don't know. Um, but kind of reminding you that, by the way, this shit could happen again, whereas now we're at on the cusp of this shit could happen again, and it's just... It's like a response to the world we're in, mm. rather than, like, preempting. Yeah, well, that, with such an unsettled world, it's quite a good time for something like this. Mm. And quite a good time for us to be reminded. Yeah. Yeah. That, that this level of art can rock the world in this way. Well, no. What? Well, I guess what I'm saying is that it's not. It's not reminding us this could happen again. It already is happening to us again, and it's kind of slotting into this time. Mm. Whereas the Hammer's Tale was a bit more sort of stunning as a book. It kind of interrupted the eighties. Whereas this is like, oh, this is just another book reminding us that this is shit. Whereas mm. the 80, like, I don't know. This is a great, uh, I do enjoy this review here from someone called Jack. Um, oh, and his, <laughs> his icon is PC with a line through it. So that's, that's good. Um, he said, ghastly middle class whining. 
My wife lent me her copy of this book. It was a real strain to get through it. Some of the dialogue is so artificial, my arse tightened. The middle-class perspective on the world, of course, is bound to be a whining noise that persists until it's heard. But the author manipulates characters and events in such a forced way to make her political points that any sense of realism is quickly lost. It's very hard to stay in this book. I know Radio 4 will be all over this. It's right up their street. But anyone... Oh, it doesn't like the BBC. Um, but anyone who lives in the real world... Real world... Uh, would give this one a pass. I get it. She's a lady. She doesn't like the way women have been treated in the past. The fact that he even says lady. Um, she's a lady. She doesn't like the way women have been treated in the past, but this is just too heavy-handed to be taken seriously. First thing I've read by her, won't be looking at anything else. Once bitten, dot, dot, dot. <laughs> she's a lady. She doesn't like the way women have been treated in the past. The oh. wife gave me this book. I hated it so much. I threw it at my wife. I'm going to go on Amazon and use big words. Um, oh, uh, I mean, that is one thing about this book. It will just, like, if any book's going to have comments that just make you ill, this one will. Mm. Um, the author manipulates characters and events in such a forced way to make her political points. Uh, there is an element of bending to a plot, isn't there, in this? Yeah. Yeah, it's like the plot was marked out. So... In creative writing class, one of the things that one of my tutors told me um, was you kind of need to just sit with the character a bit and see what they do. You can't sort of make them fit to a plot. It doesn't work like that because then you end up with sort of unnatural characters and unnatural scenarios. Um, but, and yeah, and I suppose you can see in a way, but because I feel this book could have started off with, okay, let's pick three characters. Where did they come from? It might not have been written. It might have been written far more organically. Um but there is, I think there's some truth in that, in that there's a little sort of, the character is a little bit kind of um, plotted on, yeah. stuck into the story. She's, she's ultimately picked up a thread that needed picking up and had demand to be picked up, so that's going to take away from its organic nature mm. somewhat. Mm. Um it's very hard to stay in this book. I don't agree with that. I mean, I was, I was hooked, but maybe that's my, you know, young teenage mind. <laughs> um, as opposed to more. And if you, you love the first one, so it's you know, yeah. There's going to be a, a want to know what happens. With Interestingly, the, the first time I read the, I didn't love The Handmaid's Tale. I actually hated it the first time I read it. It was just really important, um, and I think that's the sort of best type of book. You don't actually like it, but it just makes you mm. ask questions. Sort of like vegetables. Basically, yeah. Mm. I like vegetables, so. Okay, fruit. I like fruit. Mm. As long as it's chopped up. Uh, again, anyone who lives in the real world, oh, I love that when people say that no one else lives in the real world. Mm. Yeah, no. Um, anyway, she's a lady. She and also, I get it, she's a la like, he's talking about Atwood. Atwood's a lady, so she doesn't like the way women have been treated in the past. Otherwise, if you weren't a woman, you'd be fine, fine with that. <laughs> I get it, she's a lady, she doesn't like it. She's a lady. Mm. Again, I mean, I'm, I'm... I'm amazed by one-star reviews, but I guess that's because people just hold outward to a higher standard than anyone else. Um, <laughs> someone's put lame is the main word that comes that's the to thing. mind. <laughs> there's, a, there's a lot of expectation yeah. on, on a book like this. Yeah, and I guess all you can all you can lean back on are like, what, the 200,000 copies that are sold? Bless her. <laughs> that's it. If it flops, I think she's too successful and accomplished to care. She's sure. earned her chips. Actually, she will care, I think, because she will, you know. I think everyone, you know... They must do, yeah. Everyone must care to a degree. But yeah, but there's a lot of credit in the bank. So. I doubt she'll be. She'll, 
if she ever goes through one star Amazon reviews, that's just for a giggle, mm. I suppose. Yeah. Um, it's like how you know, however many throwaway bad filler novels Stephen King puts out. Mm. There's enough credit in the bank there. There's enough success there. Yeah. And I think that is something about the more you write, the less afraid you are of failure. And the less you um, judge failure by people's opinions. Well, someone's always going to hate it, aren't yeah, they? Yeah, the, the less you take people's negative opinions as, as failure. Mm. Um, we're sort of judging books as we would our first book, because, you know, your first book has to be good. Mm. But she's written God, God knows how many... I would imagine it's not just a book for her, but it's a book she had to write and got out and she did it. And Mm. yeah, it's craftsmanship. Yeah, exactly. Um, This last one. Margaret Atwood is one of the greatest living novelists writing in English with a great intellect, prescience and talent for storytelling. However, I didn't rate the sequel to The Handmaid's Tale and though it was readable, I was really disappointed. There are adequate characters, a plot, an outcome and a tie in with a truly great novel. But it reads how I imagine a treatment for a television series would read. That is interesting because, yes, mm. it does. I, I really felt that it was, yeah, it was written with TV in mind, in my head, actually. Um, what do you think? Yeah, it's quite cinematic also. Yeah. Like, um, far, far more than its predecessor. So, yes, yeah. I, and, and how much that actually does correlate to the TV series, who knows? But yeah, absolutely. I and, and it's a shame when you read a book going, "Oh my god, you've got the movie in mind, or you've got the yeah. series in mind." I think it's something we're going to see more and more of. Purely, you know, that's true. This, this review has written a sketch of characters and structure that could be filled out by the acting, the editing, and the overall design of the program. Unlike everything else I've read by Margaret Atwood, I had no sense of it being a work of art. I would agree there. The characterization is unconvincing. You could play bingo with the cliched expressions. The aren't Lydia diary words to the reader. If you are reading this, then speculation is a tired basic device regarding the plot i could see how you could get away with it in a dramatization i didn't think it was moving though the subject matter and had scope for provoking strong emotional responses they were lost and found family members great courage and self-sacrifice but i didn't believe in it i, I think that's a fair point yeah. there's so many elements when you step back and look they go god this should be so enticing and yeah. somehow it just isn't somehow it's a bit forced and it goes back to that same thing we said that there's going to be a level of obligation to have yeah. to have written this book i do feel yeah you're right i think i do feel like with characters it was more a concept thing so i'm interested in the concept behind aunt lydia i'm interested in how that all um played out and and the morality of playing on the side of evil for the sake of good and that for me yeah as a concept is very interesting and I, I do think Aunt Lydia's character was slightly stronger but then that could well be influenced by the TV series I, I didn't feel like the characters of the girls were particularly padded out um, they felt again they did actually feel like typical teenage girls in the handmaids in, in Gilead and then typical teenage girl in you know western modern yeah. Canada yeah, and this is why I didn't. Yeah, this is maybe why I didn't connect with it much. I don't think any character went particularly deep. Mm. It was more about their space in time and yeah, you know what right. the implications might have been, and yeah. that's for you to make your mind up. Which therefore it's fine, yeah. surely. Yeah, for example, yeah. the bit that I latched onto was the sort of thing I like in books. I loved the the, the stolen baby story mm. and the um, you know, and the the smuggling that what went yeah. on afterwards and her finding out who she is. But actually, in terms of like, let's say, you know, the books that have reams and reams of dialogue that really teach you about the character, mm. and the character you learn about the character purely by reading what they say and how they interact with others. This book does not have that, but I think that's okay. Yeah, there are a few incredible lines, um, but there, yeah, nothing sort of made me feel, oh my god, I'm here. Maybe maybe a couple of times. I think I. Um, 
Let's read the last line. <laughs> I posted it somewhere. <laughs> and it was, I thought, why cry? You should be happy you got out. But after all that's happened to me since that day, I understand why. You hold it in, whatever it is, until you can make it through the worst part. Then once you're safe, you can cry all the tears you couldn't waste time crying before. And that is very mm. relatable, I think, for a lot of women, is that sort of one, one foot in front of the other. I, I've just pulled up the, the very end. This is um, without P- Piexioto's old uh, <laughs> spiel at the end. This is the end of the, the, the main text. Um, it's really lovely. But now I must end our conversation. Goodbye, my reader. Try not to think too badly of me, or no more badly than I think of myself. Now, I would have ended it there, the editor and me. <laughs> she goes on for another couple of paragraphs. In a moment, I'll slot these pages into Cardinal Newman and slide it back onto my shelf. In my end is my beginning, as someone once said. Who was that? Mary Queen of Scots, if history does not lie. Her motto, with a phoenix rising from its ashes, embroidered on a wall hanging. Such excellent embroiderers women are. Okay, I do quite like that as a line. Mm-hmm. Uh, the footsteps approach, one boot after another, between one breath and the next, the knock will come. Okay, I changed my mind. I would change. I would get rid of the last sentence. <laughs> Such excellent embroiderers women are. Yeah, I think I that's a good line that. to end on, yeah. It says... It makes me think of very tapestry and sort of every... Says, and it sort of says women are excellent, but at the same time, it's... It's satirical of the, you know, the flippancy of men going, oh, they're so fine at the handiwork. Yeah. It, it, that, that line says a lot. It says whatever you wanted to say. Yeah, no, that's absolutely right. Yeah, it does. You're right. It does say whatever you want to say. It brings it back to the sort of embroidery class and everything um, from earlier in the book. And the idea of, yeah, fabrication and mm. how much is she, tell- is she telling the truth. And, of course, the whole thing with Aunt Lydia is that is she lying about all her motivations because she's going to go down with, with Gilead. Mm. But yeah, the thing with embroidery, it does for me, it makes me think of, yeah, very tapestry. And it makes me think of women telling the stories of men mm. beautifully. And there's, there's sort of ones that um, carve it into history. Yeah. Um, yeah. Men make this mindless, barbaric mess. Yeah. Um, women make it look nice. Women make, make it look nice. In women such go blind. Ingenious ways, yeah, that are, that are criminally... And monstrously unappreciated. Ah, <laughs> oh, you're scared of sitting next to a feminist. Yep. <laughs> yeah. So we should give this a rating. We should. Did we do out of ten or out of five? Uh, ten, I think. Okay. Well, uh, when we started this, I was actually like, oh, this is a five. I didn't enjoy reading it. I didn't hate reading it. It's just it was fine. It didn't really do it for me. However, reading that last paragraph, talking about the, <laughs> you know. Um, but no, no, generally, actually, th- th- this is... It's an interesting work. I do give it, for me, it, it's somewhere around a high six. Mm. Um, it didn't knock my socks off. Um, I didn't quite, I just didn't get into it. I didn't find it gripping. But conceptually, I loved it. And I did appreciate stylistically just how unique and important it is. What yeah. do you think? It's another example of Atwood's craftsmanship as a writer. It's nice having that story completion. I literally couldn't put it down. I was absolutely hooked. Uh but yeah, getting to the end of it and thinking about it, it's a six to six point five for me. Okay, so should we agree on a six point five? Yeah, Margaret Atwood's sequel to The Handmaid's Tale, The Testaments, and we gave it six point five out of ten. Great. What, what are we going to read next? Um, well, I think the next podcast is going to be on your recommendation, which is Ray Bradbury's. Fahrenheit 451. Yes, I cannot wait for you to read this. 
Me neither. <laughs> oh, we'll see how we go. Right, I'm going to put the kettle on. Doodle pip, we will see you next time. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.